It's Tuesday, October 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger, and from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Brian Hinman. Good to see you, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Good to be back, Chris. We might have our first fist fight in the history of Market Foolery because Seriously. Matt Argusinger is from the Boston area. I went to school in the Boston area. Brian, you are a native of Tampa. Oh. And last night, your race just pulled out a clutch win in the playoffs against the Boston Red Sox. And as a result of that, at the end of this podcast, Matt and I are just going to beat you senseless. Yes, it's it's <laughs> ironic that last night I stayed alive, and now I'm flanked by Red Sox fans, and I'm probably going to get killed. So. Um, Who hit that home run? What, what was his name again? Yeah, Senor Lobaton. Oh, yeah. you got to respect the backup catcher. <laughs> what a yeah. game. What I a mean, game. Uh, it was a great win for Tampa, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the backup catcher hitting the mm-hmm. game-winning home run. Let's <clears throat> move on. Let's yeah. move on right. to... You know the news at hand. Um, we've got some tech news. We've got some personal finance news. We have a new hundred dollar bill. Uh, we're going to get to that, but let's start with the government shutdown, which has officially entered week two. Uh, some of our listeners weighing in uh, on Twitter. Uh, just some of our comments we've gotten on our Twitter feed at Market Foolery from Ben Wechter. I'm feeling the impact of the shutdown. I can't update my watch to official U.S. time because the site is down. Is that a legitimate excuse for being late to work? <laughs> I think so. That's not bad. Uh, from Jeff in San Diego. So if the government is shut down for X number of weeks, does that mean we can withhold X divided by 52% in taxes in 2013? That's a legitimate question. Uh, I think that's one you, you talk to your uh, whoever does your taxes. <laughs> uh, and finally, from uh, at Viking999, this government shutdown is taking longer to get through than a Stephen King book. Um, <laughs> that's true. Although we have a soft spot in our heart uh, for Stephen King here at The Fool because he owns one of our affiliate radio stations. Uh, uh, the Motley Fool Money Show in Bangor, Maine, airs on a station owned by Stephen King. Love Stephen King. Love Stephen King. He also owns Lake Winnipesaukee or something like that. One of those lakes up there. He owns a lake? That's yeah, a, that's he, a, he owns all the property around the lake. That's a that's a New Hampshire lake. We, in Maine, we don't we don't we don't delve. <laughs> I probably over have the lake wrong Hampshire. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I really am going to just beat the hell out of you when this is over. <laughs> it's getting worse. Brian. Um, back to the shutdown because Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, has come out and has essentially called on other CEOs to do the same. Basically saying, "Hey, look, as business leaders, we need to step up and increase the pressure for our, uh, an end to this federal shutdown." Is he right? Is that a is that a good move? On on the one hand, just as an American citizen, I'm I'm all for business leaders doing what they can. On the other hand, as a shareholder of Starbucks, I'm a little conflicted because I'm like, um, is 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 that what you're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing? I don't know. What what do you think, man? I I I think this is you know, hey, this is the United States of America. We are. I mean, we are we're the bastion of capitalism, or at least we think we are, and. And these these leaders like uh, you know uh, Howard Schultz are are they they run they 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 know they have a good sense on the pulse of the economy and they they run such large businesses. I mean, I'm thinking of also guys like Jeffrey Emil of GE or Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan or even Jeff Bezos of Amazon. I think it's totally fine for these guys to use a little bit of their not bully pulpit, but a little bit of the, what the media platform the megaphone have. the megaphone right. And you know. Warren Buffett's certainly done it. He's done it in a, in a kind of an indirect, subtle way. People have asked him in interviews, and he's given his opinion. I, I, I have no problem with them stepping up and sort of making a stronger claim again, again against what's going on. You agree with that, Brian? Yeah, I mean, there's clearly some self-interest here. Um, 
the government workers drink a lot of Starbucks coffee, I'm <laughs> right. sure. And, you know, the longer that this goes on, the, the more it impacts how people feel financially, and that's going to play into Starbucks sales. So there's definitely self-interest here. But this isn't the first time that Schultz has gotten outspoken. Uh, you know, he had a petition a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was debt ceiling related as well then. Right, right, yeah, 2011. Right. Um, but I love that he understands the importance of uh, campaign finance and all the contributions that CEOs give to these, you know, these politicos. Uh, and if he can get some banded together and say, essentially, hey, the purse strings are going to shut off yeah. unless you guys start behaving a little better, you know, uh, whatever it takes. Bill Barker made the point on Market Fullery yesterday that we're going to see more of this. If you look at how congressional districts have been gerrymandered, the interests are going to be more entrenched, and we are going to see more of this in the future. If that is the case, and just for the sake of this conversation, let's stipulate that Bill Barker is right. And God, it pains me to say that. Um, if he is right, when companies in their filings have to list risks, risk factors for their business, is this now a legitimate risk for businesses that are so tied to the federal government or get uh, the majority of their revenue from defense contractors, for, from any department in the federal government? This almost seems like it now qualifies as a risk. I think I think so. I mean, you 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 do. There are certain segments of this country, including um, some districts in northern northern Colorado that I've you know, read about, where there's actually a legitimate push to secede from the state because they, the, the 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 politics in those areas are so polarized yep. against what's going on in the rest of the state and the rest of the country that they feel like they 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 have the political will to actually secede. And so it's it's almost it's a very strange thing that you have now politicians who are so comfortable now because they come from districts that are just they have really 90% support in right. and and yet though even even if those districts conflict on what's going on or or you know have some very outward views, it doesn't matter. And so they can continue to sit on those knowing that they're going to get reelected. And I think it certainly is a legitimate risk, for sure. All right, let's move on to actual business that's going on. Google and Hewlett-Packard uh, are unveiling the HP Chromebook 11, an 11-inch laptop that runs Chrome OS. For $279, this seems like, first of all, it's for all of the troubles HP has had in recent years, the stock has been on fire this year. It's it, it's just been an amazing performer. Um, this seems like a good thing for both, but it also seems like if you're Google, this is this is a no brainer. It, it strikes me as sort of an also ran for Google. I mean, I, I understand that they're trying to uh, get more devices out there operating on the Chrome OS to basically have the Google you know search bar uh, built into to everything, but. I really don't see this as a big deal. It, they're mammoth, and uh, it's totally incremental to me. Uh, it also bothers me that they're partnering with HP, but maybe that's just a Why does that bother thing. you? Uh, HP hardware has uh, not had a very good history. Uh, they're not linking themselves up with what I consider to be probably the low-cost producer uh, or the high-quality producer. So it just seems like a strange bedfellow to me. I and so I, I, don't, I looked around. I think the price is somewhere under three hundred dollars. Two seventy nine. Two seventy nine. So it, to me, it's a, it's a bigger story about just how hardware is just getting so yeah. affordable, right. which is a good thing. Um, but it also means it's that, a good thing if you're a consumer. Sure. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I think of also the the recent the Amazon Kindle, the new Kindles that have come out that are are just pretty pretty robust and yet also very affordable. 
it just means that the 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 importance of of hardware is is only in the, as to the means of of getting software out there or a way for companies like Google or Amazon or Apple to sell other services and to sell an experience. Um, and that is becoming where the certainly where the profit margins are going to be in the future. And and we see this every day. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a laptop next year that's ninety nine dollars probably from Walmart. Yeah, no, I, I uh, that's a great point, Matt. And I think that that. Uh that shift is really happening on a broader scale too. Um, Jeff Fisher and I this morning were talking about Oracle, and Oracle uh, people don't like it right now because uh, they think that it is going too hard into the hardware business. But really, all the hardware is is it's a vessel for their software. And the fact of the matter is, so many companies out there have struggled to make money selling hardware that they've left the business, that if Oracle wants to have a vessel for its software, mm-hmm. it needs to build it itself. So that that could be what Google is thinking here. Mm. Um, you can email us, radio at fool.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. Um, got a question on Twitter from Kenya Gonzalez in Washington, D.C. hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, does this story on consumer debt and spending trends five years after the crash suggest specific opportunities. And there was a link to an Associated Press story. AP had done an analysis of households in the 10 biggest economies uh, that showed families continue to spend cautiously. They have pulled hundreds, in in total, hundreds of billions of dollars out of stocks. Uh, They've cut borrowing for the first time in a very long time. So I'm curious what you guys thought about this story, because on the one hand, Families cutting down their debt, that's a good thing. Spending less money, that's good for family finances. On the other hand, as a trend <laughs> that you can look at this and say, wow, from an investing standpoint, this this is arguably hurting the global economy. Yeah, I I look at, yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword because I look at it at some respects and I say, yeah, this is positive. You know, and, and to me, it's, it's kind of a pent-up demand story. It's They've cut back their spending. Um, and you know they're waiting for the economy to improve. There are clear signs to start spending again, and when they do, it's going to be pretty robust for the economy. And we've actually seen you know auto sales over the past year, real estate certainly also um, have been really strong markets. And I think that was also a product of sort of uh, pent up demand and cheap borrowing costs. But but yes, the, the the other side of this though is that if we are sort of and we've we've reached a new cultural paradigm where it's it's better where families are going to pull in the purse strings and not spend as much. Um, that could be bad things because we've seen what's happened in certain economies like Japan or in Europe where that's happened and, and over many years that can lead to a really stagnant economy, lower, you know, higher unemployment, things like that. Yeah, so Matt handled the, the, the spending and saving side of that. On the investing side, uh, this article pointed out that people basically got spooked out of stocks. Uh, and so, you know, billions of dollars, trillions of dollars pulled out of stock funds and it had to go somewhere. Some of it sat in cash, some of it plowed into bonds. Um, and so that you know raises the question simply of uh, of alternatives. You know, if you're not going to invest in stocks, if you've been spooked out of stocks, where are you going to put your money? We're starting to see some of that money flow back into real estate. We're starting to see, you know, we've started to see that money flow back into stocks. Uh, but that is one of the things I think that uh, has continued to fuel this rally and this recovery is that uh, so much money was pulled out of stocks and put on the sidelines. Uh, you know, and investors were burned so badly that they've been very slow to put it back in. Um, the problem is bonds aren't a de- aren't a very good alternative 
to right. put money into this time. People are still very gun shy about real estate because uh, you know of the, of the housing crisis, uh, and so there aren't a lot of alternatives um, for people to turn to. And uh, you know, stocks look, you know, stock look, stocks look good in that regard. So we've talked before about the U.S. stock market relative to other markets around the world, and and most people are probably not looking to invest in other markets, but certainly institutions are. And so in terms of institutional investors, one of the things we've seen is part of fueling this rally in the States is institutions putting money here because it's just a better place on average, than, even though they think, well, I should have some exposure to Europe, but Europe is just on fire in a bad way. Um, the Emerging Markets Index this year has been abysmal, woefully under, underperforming the S&P 500. But to your point, Brian, you read this story and it, it really does seem like well, – because as we've talked about that in the past, I've thought, well, that's going to end. As we see Europe turn the corner, institutions are going to start pulling money out of the U.S. But it sounds like you think, no, no, we're st- maybe institutions are going to do that, but individuals are going to help fuel this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's there's two points that I think I should make here. The first is, uh, you're right, all of these foreign governments and uh, these sovereign wealth funds have turned to the U.S. as a, uh, you know, a safe, haze, safe haven, safe haven, excuse me, uh, to a certain degree in stocks, but to a large degree in U.S., bonds. And so with the, you know, the debt ceiling issues that are going on right now, those, uh, those entities, countries, country governments, and sovereign wealth funds are really going to start rethinking uh, you know, that strategy and whether or not they should be plunking all of their reserves in U.S. Denominate, US debt. Um, so that's, you know, that's one issue. Uh, but the other issue is I want to make the case that uh, stocks are good for the long run. And, um, you know, we talk about all the alternatives here um, and investors getting scared out of stocks by ups and downs. But what really matters here is your ability to ride through those ups and downs and uh, be in stocks for the long haul. The longer you are in stocks, the less chance you have of actually losing any money. I found a really cool website called ativa.com, A-T-I-V-A, that allows you basically to choose a holding period and uh, you can look over whatever your chosen holding period um, to see the worst, you know, 10-year period or the, the best 10-year period. Um, and so it's interesting. If you look at, you know, a one-year, you know, one-year returns of U.S. stocks, uh, you know, the worst return was, you know, down 45%. The best return was up 55%. But as you extend your time horizon, the likelihood that you'll actually lose money investing in U.S. stocks drops to virtually zero. Um, over 10 years, the worst 10-year period for U.S. stocks historic- historically has been plus 2.84%. So um, when you're considering your alternatives, consider your time frame as well. And if you have a long-term time frame, don't get worried about the ups and downs. Does Ativa say anything about 2013 to 2023? If I, if I those <laughs> time dates, am I going to, you know? No, I think Brian, Brian just made some really great points. Um, a small earlier point, though, about the sovereign wealth funds. Um, you know, we talked earlier in the show about how, well, you know, we've got a lot of U.S. corporations, the heads of U.S. corporations kind of trying, starting to make waves. Well, there was some news earlier, even today, but earlier this week about, um, you know, some officials in Japan and China saying, hey, guys, government, right. get, get it together. Because get your guess stuff what? together. We own trillions of U.S. bonds. And if, if there's a government shutdown and, you know, we, there's any, any hint of a risk of default, guess who's not coming to the next treasury auction? So, that's a little bit of a, of a growing risk, I'd say, also, we, we need to think about. 
Before we get to our final story, I should mention uh, happy birthday to Motley Fool Pro, our Motley Fool Pro All service. Right. Fifth anniversary, turns five today. So he's not here. Uh, Jeff Fisher is not in the room, but uh, but happy anniversary, I guess, to, to him and to you uh, for running a great service. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably bearing the lead here, a market-beating service. I mean, we talk about time frames, uh, Motley Fool Pro beating the market solidly over the last five years. So congratulations. Thanks, man. It's been, uh, it's been a fun ride. I haven't been on board for all five years, but I've been on board for three and a half coming up on four. Um, and you're right, market beating is, is great. It's not exactly what we uh, compare ourselves to because we're an absolute return service. Um, so we have other goals. But hey, uh, you can't argue with market beating, especially given that we've you know, had on average a 25% or so cash balance along the way. We, you know, have our portfolio hedged, we have shorts, and we use options. Um, we're really happy with the performance given the amount of risk that we've, you know, put our capital, you know, at. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next five. Congrats. Fantastic. Um, and just to wrap up on that, because he's not in the room, you've been on the service three and a half, four years. I think perfectly legitimate for you to claim 70 to 80% of the credit for that. And Jeff gets the other twenty thirty done. Done. <laughs> well, we're, we're still going to beat him up. <laughs> um, we have a new one hundred dollar bill, uh, and this is getting headlines because, well, first of all, it's a hundred dollar bill. It is, uh, as some have pointed out in the media, it's all about the Benjamins. But I was struck <laughs> last week when I was in Toronto at just how much cooler Canadian money, and frankly, most money, most currency around the world. Is just so much more interesting than the U.S. dollar. <laughs> Why is that? I mean, are they spending more to make them? I, I have no idea. But I just, I any time, and I don't, I don't travel internationally all that much. But you know, uh, whenever any one of our colleagues comes back from a trip, whether it's for pleasure or for research, I, I'm always interested in the currency, and I'm. I'm always struck with the same thought, which is why, even with the new and improved $100 yeah. bill, and it looks better, it's flashier. I'm, you know, added security and all that sort of thing. It's still, it's just like that's fine. It's still only slightly better than it used to be in terms of just how cool it looks. I think the U.S. is a little high and mighty on this one. You know, <laughs> we've got all these other all these other currencies that are now different. They have different size bills, which makes great sense for you know maybe someone who's blind. You know, they can feel the difference in the bills. Uh, and their bills are not only different sizes, but they're made of a, a different material yeah. that's more durable. And so you don't have to spend money reprinting bills all of the time. Yeah. So I, I think there's been a, a frightful lack of innovation in U.S. currency. But, hey, we're good at printing it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anything to add, Manny? No, nothing to add because um, I'm, I'm, I think Brian's got some interesting <laughs> – Interesting facts about well, I, if you Brian, bring Brian prepared for this one. Yeah. He printed out charts. He, uh, he's got all kinds of material. Do you have a couple of stats no, about, I, the, about, uh, about currency? I do. I, just, I, w- I wanted to say that uh, you know, for as much as I said there's been a lack of innovation you know, in the U.S. currency, I'm happy that we're printing new money because money is disgusting. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, these, the new printing was really all about security features. Right. But I'm, I'm a fan of it simply because it gets some old bills, some old dirty bills out of uh, circulation. Uh, did you know, Chris, that 90% of U.S. dollar bills carry traces of cocaine? <laughs> what, traces of cocaine? That's a fact, Jack. That is not, how gotta, is that a fact? 90% of, of U.S. currency has traces of cocaine? Trace, traces, so don't get all excited. 
and then also, while you know most viruses would sort of die uh, in, a, in a couple of hours, uh, paper money, like the U.S. uses, can transport a live flu virus for 17 days. Well, on that disgusting... I've turned you into a hypochondriac. On that disgusting note, Brian Hinman, Matt Argusinger. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>